Hello you, this is Good Darts. The darts are good, the podcast might not be. We offer no guarantees on that. Brought to you by our friends at Low Six, the people behind the PDC Picks app. I'm Dan Dawson, Wayne Mardle is alongside me virtually, but the big news is that things have changed, my friends. For now, we live in a world where a ferret is a major darts champion. Johnny Clayton won the Masters. Wayne Mardle, what news, what glad tidings we bring. I'll tell you what, though, how good was he? Oh, really uh, no, good. No offence to Johnny. I'm, I'm thinking, right, he'll go off the boil in the next round because mm. normally he doesn't carry on to, to such levels. Well, it was it was incredible stuff. How he finished off Peter Wright was was astounding, absolutely astounding. And in the final, his, his standard didn't relent. It was he was a 104 average machine. He, he was great. And do you know what? Uh, we know he's a lovely man, don't we, Dan? We we, we know he's a, a fantastic human being, but good guys do come first, and I was yes. so pleased for him. Bit bit disappointed for Merv because he's mm-hmm. it's now his what second second final defeat in the, in the matter of like three months. Uh, so yeah, it's hard for him to take another defeat. But Clayton, Clayton, the way he played, thoroughly deserved it. So pleased for him. Absolutely. Well, I mean, a word on Merv. I mean, it is his second big TV final defeat in, in what, two, two, three months. But then again, he hadn't made a big TV final for six years prior to that. So, I mean, yeah, I know that Merv will probably be glass half empty from that situation. But I think there's a lot of positives. Yeah. I mean, he played incredibly as well. I mean, beating Gerwin Price, beating everybody to get through uh, to the final. I mean, they, they were both superb. And a hundred more than 102 average tournament average for, for Johnny yeah. Clayton. And I don't think anybody will win the Masters playing more legs than him either. That's 102 and a half <laughs> average. Over, He's gone last leg decider, last leg decider, last leg decider, last leg decider, and then 11-8. Um, I mean, yeah, he's played an extra round than some players. So, you know, it, it, plus, does it kind of feed into this point that we've had a winner who's outside the top 16 for the Masters top 16 tournament? Isn't that just feeding into the... There are more winners from all over the rankings. It's actually quite hard to win TV titles, James Wade. I don't want to dig this up again, but it's true, isn't it? Hundred percent. I was just, mm. I was just going to say, if you were, if you didn't go there, I was going to go there. Oh, uh, good, Dan. Hundred percent. There's, there's so many players that are, are capable now that, that the top, top players. Are, are, yes, they're the top players. They're going to crop up and win more than, more than those outside the top eight, top sixteen. But. They haven't. They don't. Don't have a monopoly anymore. Whereas it kind of used to be the the case. Not now. The world number one, world champ, uh, played great against uh, Cullen. Played great against Adrian Lewis. But but Merv did a job on him. And Merv being the twentieth seed uh, in in that event. And do you know what? I quite liked it as twenty four seeds. Uh, whether it goes back to sixteen or not, I don't know. I don't agree with some of the. The lobbying for thirty-two, it just becomes a, a, a lesser match play. Then don't like that. Mm, yeah, don't I mean, I was, was going to ask no, you about that. Peter that. Wright was saying that, wasn't he? <laughs> Peter Wright, because Peter Wright said a couple of, of weird suggestions this weekend. One of them, he said, "I'll make it thirty-two, top thirty-two, and make it ranking." I, 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 the problem I have with that is that you then you're basically you're building like a dike. You're building a fortification between the top 32 in the world and 33 and below, and you're making it harder yeah. for people to get into the top 32. Now, I realise yeah. that there are already certain barriers like this anyway. Top 32, you get in the worlds as a as a seed. Um, top 16, you're getting into a, pretty much all the big TV tournaments. And so that does yeah. create a big barrier that, that people find it very difficult to break in to that. Um, yeah. But... I think just doing that with the Masters, it just makes it even harder, doesn't it? I mean, what was it like when, when you were playing, Wayne? And were you somebody who looked at rankings and looking at how much you had to win and, and constantly questioning the system and the ranking points and money and all this sort of stuff? Because every player feels it's unfair in a certain way when it goes against them. Well, yeah, look, I, I was never one to chase... Uh, ranking points in at the time and then money i I, mm. I probably played fewer events than the most uh one because i was i was working a bit as well doing doing kind of working in the accountancy firm mm. uh for a couple of years anyway but i i never used to chase i was i i've always called it rankings blackmail always <laughs> uh 
no matter where you are, no matter mm. where you are in the world, there's this case of, right, if you're number one and you might be caught, you're going to turn up for an event maybe you don't want to go to because whether the difference between number one and two means actually anything anyway, but it, it will to the one who's number one and number two, but mm -hmm. is there is there money to be, to be earned off the back of it? Sometimes yes or no. It depends what bonuses you're getting from from sponsors and stuff but sometimes your ranking just does not matter but most of the time it kind of does if you're number nine you want to be top eight because that will get you in the grand prix if you're if you're number 14 15 you want to keep in the top 16 because that will get you a seed in get you a place in the match play and, and other events so but i i personally never never used to kind of worry about it too much because we we were kind of a different different breed back then. It wasn't as professional as it is now. And do you know what? There was, we we kind of had a monopoly because we were always in the, or not always, but we were, we were more or less in the, the match play, more or less in the Grand Prix, the same players, the same players. It's, it's not like it is now. There's just more people doing the circuit now. It's like back mm. in the 70s, there was hardly anyone doing the circuit in the yeah. 80s there was a few more in the 90s there was a few more than the 80s and and so on and but look today you don't have to be a professional darts player to actually uh do the professional circuit because there are so many events johnny clayton's a plasterer <laughs> yes he is he is and I, i'm i'm kind of getting I know we talked about it on the podcast. He spoke to us about it, and I, I kind of feel responsible because I think it was the first time he talked about his job. And and I think I asked him about, are you gonna, you know, you're gonna quit the job and focus on the dots? I think I was the first person to ask him about it, but I did ask him about that about three or four years ago. And I think like he's answered that question a million times. He quite yeah. likes it. He, yeah. he doesn't bother him. It's not until he's forced, you know, until his boss says we're not letting you carry on working Correct. because you've got too much dots. And as we said last week with the Premier League, they're going to do it in little blocks this year anyway. They're not going to be going all over the place. Johnny Clayton's yep. going to... I think Johnny Clayton's going to carry on working. Um, and fair play to him. It's working for him. He's a World Cup winner. He's now the Masters winner. He's in the Premier League. Yeah. I'm, I'm really kind of bored about this will Johnny Clayton give it the darts because I don't really think that it's, it's negatively impacting him. He's always been... Jamie Lewis has always described him to me as the ultimate pub player. He just walks in five minutes before registration, picks yeah. up his darts, and they either go brilliantly and he wins the tour title or he makes the semis of the final, or he's out in round one or round two. That's just how he is. And that, that weekend at the Masters, he had a very good weekend. It all went right. And we know when it goes right, he can beat anybody in the world because he is that good. Yeah, I, I think what... What amateurs need to realise and those that, that just listen to this podcast or just watch the darts, that the difference between Johnny Clayton working and not working, it isn't just the case of not getting up or having to get up doing something that people think that he doesn't want to do because most people don't enjoy working, do they? Mm. Let's be honest. Yeah. Most people don't enjoy having to get up uh, at the crack of dawn or whatever time it is, because it's a responsibility that is day in, day out, becomes monotonous, it becomes a, a mundane chore. Johnny Clayton doesn't feel like that. And his fellow Welshman, Mark Webster, who, who he's never stopped doing plumbing. Mm. He's the, the, the 2008 world champ, when we was at the, uh, it was the Grand Slam or the or the uh, Grand Prix, I can't remember, they all roll into one now. All, all I know is that it was in, in some kind of sports hall. It was grand crowd, something, yeah. It, it was something, yeah, yeah. And the day after, I just, as in uh, the day of the final, I said, what are you doing tomorrow, Mark? He said, oh, I'm, I'm helping a mate out. We're, we're fitting a, some kind of shower cubicle, blah, blah, blah. He said, do you know what, Wayne? I can't enjoy it. He said, uh, the wife goes to work. He said, uh, we drop the kids off at school. He said, otherwise, what, what will I be doing? Uh, Practising all day and becoming bored? He said, I'd rather get out with, with a mate and... Have a bit of a have a bit of a laugh and earn some money, and yeah. I'm thinking, do you know what? I'm going to go home and do nothing. <laughs> and look, if it works for you, if it works for you, do it, do yeah. it. 
I think so. I think absolutely. And look, he, he, as we say, he didn't just win it. He won it brilliantly. And he's won last leg deciders. I know it's, it's great winning last leg deciders against Peter Wright and, and Jose de Sousa, you know, major champions, reigning major champions. But winning last leg deciders against Michael Van Gerwen and James Wade, who arguably over the years are the two players you do not want to have a last leg decider against absolutely superb and some of those I mean he was on a nine darter in one of them it was you know 12 darters 14 darters he was he was just absolutely nerveless the ferret it was absolutely superb do you want to um a little assessment of how he did in our PDC picks last week Wayne uh do you know, uh, hold on, let me think. No, no, uh, I'll go on then. <laughs> Tough, you're getting it. Right, so, I mean, I'll start with me uh, because I had boldly predicted uh, Michael Van Gerwen versus Ian White in the final. Uh, now, for that to happen, they would have had to win seven games between them to set up that final. They won a grand total of zero. So that was that was a stunning effort for me. Although Wayne wasn't much better because uh, Wayne had predicted Dimitri Vandenberg, who is, I quote, going to dismantle them all uh, versus oh, either yeah. Gerwin Price or Michael Smith. Now, Price did win a couple of games, but Dimmy didn't win one and Smith didn't win one either. So I'll be honest. Ridiculous. Yeah, Good Darts podcast. Utter, utter abysmal stuff in terms of the predicting. Right, uh, right. Hold on. No, I'm, I'm going to stick up for us here. Right. right, okay, the yeah. The players are letting us down. We're not letting anyone down. <laughs> yeah, okay. Some of the players, some of the players don't play like they should. They're, in fact, I'm, I'm going to call Dimitri Vandenberg useless, right? <laughs> He's a terrible darts player. I'm never... I'm, it, it, <laughs> This is this is a week after saying he's going to rule the world. Yeah, he absolutely. No, uh, joking, joking aside. Uh, I was amazed at how bad Dimitri was. I, mm. I haven't seen him play like that since he was about four. Uh, it was just, strange. just, just really bad. Just really bad. Yeah, it was a very, very strange one. That one. Oh, that was the, yeah. The other weird idea that Peter Wright came up for the Masters. <laughs> he said in one of his interviews, "I absolutely love this." He was like, oh, you want the crowds back? Why don't we just get all these old folks who've had their vaccinations to come and be the crowd? It's like, what? Whether they want to Did or he? not, Peter. Yeah, like, we're just wheeling all these 75-year-old people against their will, not knowing what's going on or who that bloke dressed up in the silly outfit. Like, that, that would be absolutely wow. mental. I, I mean, look, I yeah. admire thinking outside the box, but I really just don't. Didn't understand where he was coming with that one. Um, Maybe he was on, on medication. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, who are your winners and losers for the weekend? Obviously, Ferret is the big winner. But, uh, I mean, yeah. Merv, again, brilliant. Adrian Lewis would be the one I'd pick out because he, he looked... I'm not yeah. going to say I'm not gonna say Adrian's back but because I was saying that, I think, at the match play last year and then he proceeded not to win any games for about six months. But, I mean, it was encouraging, at least. Uh, much more encouraging a weekend for Adrian than it was for, say, Glenn Durrant or Michael Smith. Yeah, uh, obviously, Johnny Clayton, Mervyn King. Uh, there, there are a few losers for me. A few mm. that, do you know what? I, Rob Cross played exactly how I thought he would, and that was just not good enough. Mm. Uh, I, do you know what? I'm, I'm really worried about Glenn Durrant. I, I think... It, I know he's not happy with his game, I know that, but some of the performances he's putting in are subpar so often, so mm. often, that I don't I don't see where the next big game or good game's coming from because he's, he's averaging in the 80s more than he's doing anything else. Uh, Michael Smith was, was poor again, uh, but I, there's something about Michael, we, we kind of both agree on this, there's something about him that just says he, he'll be fine to me. Adrian Lewis was was fantastic until, this is the problem with Adrian, until he's not fantastic. Mm, yeah. And then he seems to just get routed. But the, the concern for me is Glenn Durrant. It, it really is. And, and Michael Van Gerwen, obviously, because when Michael Van Gerwen doesn't win, it's always uh, a talking point. Yeah, and, and look, I know he, he pushed Johnny Clayton to a last leg decider. And had it been the other way around, we'd probably say, oh, well, Ferret gave him a good game. Unlucky Ferret, have a go at him yeah. next time. But when you're Michael Van Gogh and you don't get that, uh, because when you've dominated for so long, you're not given that sort of grace. So he's like, oh, well played. You didn't win. That's not good enough. And unfortunately, that's the standards yeah. of which Michael Van Gogh has set himself. Um, it is slightly puzzling. He hasn't looked convincing when we've seen him that weekend. However, it's going to be when the real sort of 
proper tour starts up. The Super Series are, are coming. Looking to have one of those every month for uh, Pro Tour events back to back to back. Uh, in places like Bolton, back to the Reebok, um, and then yes. we've got Niedenhausen again. I think that's when we'll see where really the likes of MVG does are where their games are at. I know Glenn has come off social media now. I did message him the other day. Not down to hate or abuse or anything like that. He just had a, a word with his, I think basically his wife said, get yeah. off Twitter, you're wasting your life. And yeah, he's had a chat time. Yeah, wasting time, and it's it's about focusing to you know focus on the things that matter. Like we were saying about Johnny Clayton, you know, go and do some work, go and do something productive. Don't just sit around looking at social media. God knows, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what I've been doing over the last few days, and it's not yeah. very good. Don't achieve anything. Um, but there you go, no. does it? That's one Northeast Arts player who's been on the podcast. Uh, we've had the likes of Ryan Joyce, Doby on as well. Uh, but we've got another player from the Northeast who's our guest this week. It is the recently crowned PDC Young Player of the Year, the Riot Callan Rids. These are the questions that you should be asking. Welcome to the podcast, part man, part machine. It is Cyborg Callan Rids. Callan, we'll start off. How much metal do you have in your body? Because it's more than most people, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I've got I've got one plate in my foot and a, a good few screws in it. Yeah. How many? How big is this plate? I mean, this is some pretty heavy duty work the doctors have done on your foot. Yeah, I'd say it's about two and a half, three inches. Yeah, I mean, you did actually offer. I think we were in Germany at the time. You offered me the chance to actually touch your foot, and I'll be honest, Callan, it was pretty gross. But tell everybody how this all came to happen. Well, obviously. Um... The last year when we went a lot down, I decided to dig out a, a BMX again for the first time in about six years. And obviously, I thought I'd still be as quite trickful as I was on them, but that's obviously not the case. I had a I had an accident and snapped a bone in my foot and tore about fifty percent of my ligaments in my foot, so I had to have a, a big operation on it. I'm guessing that's one of those things you know straight away that it's gone horribly wrong, right? Uh, yeah, it was one of them, but like when I used to like obviously ride the bikes, every time I'd fall off, it doesn't matter if I would, you know, cut my head open or whatever, I would always get back up and I would try it again. But when I stood up after that, I just collapsed. I knew straight away I'd done something. And it's it's probably the worst feeling I've had. But at the same time, it was in a lockdown, so I knew there wasn't going to be really much competitive dark. Mm. At the same time, I would never have bought a bike if we went in lockdown and we're still playing the Pro Tours every other weekend. How good were you at it when you were a sort of teenager then? Because BMXing and darts, those two worlds are quite far apart from each other, aren't they? I don't know anybody else who's into BMXing on the PDC tour. Um, yeah, it was, I was good. I, would, I wouldn't say I was ever the, the best, but I was good. I would, I would always try stuff. That, that was one thing about me, I would say. I was fearless of trying stuff. It, it didn't matter how dangerous the trip would be, I would try it. I would never go out my limits that much, but... There'll be some days where I would grow up my limits and try some ridiculous things. Yeah, I'd fall off and hurt myself, but it's it's one of them. If I'm close to landing a trick after a, like, a very hard trick, I will try it again until I land it. So was it just a case of, you know, you, you got a bike when you were younger and you used to just muck about on it? Or was it a bit more structured than that? Was it like a group of you? Do you go and like, do you have some half pipes or some skate parks or anything where you go and do it? Yeah, we've we've already got one steer part in Bedlam, and it's it's probably the worst steer part anyone would ever go to. It's just got <laughs> two two half pipes and a little ramp that's about two foot off the floor. But yeah, there was always a big group of us from school. We'd always finish school and either, you know, we'd have football training some days. If we went football training, we'd either play football on the field or go out on my bike. So I would do both. I would play football for a couple of hours with them, then go out on my bike. And meet some other lads. So that's that's just the way I was. I was always a, like, on. I was always out and about when I was a kid. So where did darts come into it then? Because that's that's very you know that's outwardly mobile, active pursuits that you were involved in. Did darts come later, or were you, were you playing? Were you into darts even at that point? Oh, I've always been into darts since I was a kid. Me, obviously, my mum played, my grandma played, my granddad played. You know, all my family's played and. I've always liked watching the darts. Like, I've always like, watched the, the late side. And when I was a kid, um, I'm sure I've got a video somewhere. I was throwing darts and I was about three foot tall somewhere. Um, but my mum used to work in a pub. And um, I would always go down and we would get the little stools. And I would always line them up on the dartboard so it was seven foot nine. And I would mm-hmm. throw and run across the chairs. 
when I was about 11, 12, when she would go to work in the morning. <laughs> so what, you just have like a, a sort of a little uh, runway of chairs between you, the Oki and the board, so you could throw, stand on it, throw, and then go and collect the darts? Or did you just have one at the dartboard? No, no, it was, it was a row of chairs, so I, it, it was the, the real length, and I was about... I was obviously a lot taller, like standing on the chairs, so I threw at the board. But I, I, I've always loved the darts. I've always like like playing it in the house. I've always had a dartboard up in the house, but I never took a chariot. Um, I would always throw from about five foot, maybe even when I would say eight and a half year ago before I started actually playing seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had three odd three odd darts. I had a, a Phil Taylor dart, a brass dart, and some another straight barrel dart. And um, my granddad said, if you want to like, you know, play darts seriously, I'll start taking you down to the club on a Thursday to play in um, this this pause lead. And I was like, oh yeah, that's it. Might as well, you know, it keeps us out of a bit of trouble. Mm. And I'll never, I'll always remember my first game of darts was against Ryan Joyce. Really? I didn't know that. I, I, obviously, it was like an open draw, and I drew Ryan Joyce first game. That was the first game of darts I ever played. Wow! How, who won? Not me. Okay, fine, fair enough. <laughs> like, because how old would you have been then? Maybe just turned 14. Okay, so your first game of, like, proper darts at 14, when did you realise you were quite good? Because by the time you were 15, you were winning big titles. You know, you won a title in the Netherlands, you made the World Youth Masters final. I mean, you got good pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, I, I started getting beat every week. I mean, Grandal, like, he was telling all my family, and he's told me this. I, he thought I would give up after a few weeks of just getting beat. But it's one of them things I enjoyed doing. Like, I enjoyed going out on a Thursday night playing in this league. And um, it was my first big win at the time was against Graham Stoddart. I, I played him and I beat him. And then that's when I thought, you know, I could, I could do all right. And I started going to a few like local competitions. I would get far here and there. And then when I was about fifteen, I got a I got a kind of like a sponsorship deal with this a lad in Darlington, and, um, since, and that's when I started doing the BDO. Mm-hmm. But I think I won about eleven BDO youth events in a row. The only one I, I didn't win was the the first year they had the Lakeside World Youth, and I lost to Harry Ward in the semi final. It, it took you a fair few attempts to get on the tour because you're probably the most unlucky player I've encountered at Q School over the last few years. Is that fair to say? I would say so. I, I can't see anyone that gets done on count back two years in a row and, you know, play so well for the first two years. But I know where I went wrong. Like, after the first two years, I knew I wrapped up a good few points both years. And then people would send, start sending the table to us, you know, I didn't want to see it. I got in my mm. head thinking, well, I've lost today. I've still got, I'm still three points above you know, the cut-off points. So I'm, 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 a, I'm sound. But then, you know, it, it, the draw opens up for some of them and they, they get in and then once you lose, you're like, oh, no, it's, if he wins, you know, this could be that and that. And I'll never forget the challenge tour. The last weekend, I won event 18, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And I knew that put us near the top. I didn't know where I was, to be honest. I didn't know where I was top. And this lad uh, from Newcastle messaged us saying, well done for yesterday, mate. I'll go smash it today. And I was replying to him saying, oh, thank you, mate. And he sent us the challenge, the, the table. <laughs> and I just, I, honest, I've never called someone so worse in my life. I went, I didn't want to say that. I went, <laughs> I went bonkers. Well, I mean, look, your mate Chris Dobie's had the same thing. I mean, he, he was... Always on the bubble, wasn't he? Qualifying for major tournaments, and like, I felt guilty myself because we've been there with the dart show, and we've had to go and ask him, like, "Oh, you're on, you're in line for a, a debut at the match play on his final weekend of qualifying," and then he, he'd miss out. He'd miss out by really narrow margins. It is very difficult to put all that stuff to the back of your head and just concentrate on your next game, your next dart, on on winning that day, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's, I've always said because if you if you win a game, you're it's a step closer, isn't it? Like. Obviously, the Challenge Tour isn't the money's not as good as the Pro Tour, but I think the last day after I seen that like that message, it just riled us up, and I was thought like obviously I was sat with the Northeast lads then like Davy Prince and a few others, and I just said to them, I'm, I'll I'll win this one and pull them out the last event, and I went, 
like, what do you mean? I went, I'm going to win this event, this challenge on, and I'm pulling out the last one, I'm going straight home to celebrate. And I got beaten the semis off Jason Cullen, I think, is mm-hmm. an Irish lad. Yeah. And I got myself worked up and devastated. But then my phone was going, like, I went outside for a, a tab, or a fag, as some people call them. <laughs> and then my phone started going bonkers, and someone put on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, he went, Callan Ridge has secured a tour card with the other four that could catch us in the other half of the draw. Mm-hmm. So in my head, I was like, right, now it's on to the World Championship spot. You mentioned or a few of the Geordie lads you hang around, the Northeast lads you hang around with. How big a bonus is that, having like that little group? I mean, look, Ryan Joyce, he's, he's won a title now in the PDC. Adam Hunt, great run at the Slam. Chris Doby is always there and thereabouts. He's made ma- uh, Pro Tour finals and made a major semi-final. How much... Is that help or is it a hindrance? Because Ryan Joyce, when he came on the podcast, he says, you know what, when I was keeping myself to myself, I was probably a little bit more focused than when I actually got, you know, a bunch of mates and, and had people to hang around with. It was almost a distraction. Yeah, it, it can be. Like, obviously, I've grew up playing dodge with Ryan, Chris, um, Adam, not as much, but I would say I'm at local competitions. And um, obviously, I do, I have, I've only... Apart from this year, really, I've only seen does a handful of times at competitions. Um, but yeah, I can understand where he's coming from. Like, I, I, I don't sit with the Northeast lads on the tour. I speak, I always speak to them. But I sit with like Luke Woodhouse, uh, Wayne Jones, Alan Cabin. Well, I'm quite interested as well about how the sort of dynamics work in those little stables of players. I mean, you mentioned Luke Woodhouse, so he's with the same management group as you. But you've also got players like Yella Clarsen in there, and Michael Smith has, has just joined as well. I mean, that's how do those little groups work? Can it sort of a big name being part of it? Can that sort of throw things off kilter a bit or not? Um, maybe for a few, yeah. Michael Smith messaged me and he said he was on about signing, and I didn't believe him. And then, obviously, we got the text off our manager saying we've got a sign-in coming, and then I kind of clicked on. I knew who it was going to be. So, um, but yeah, it's like Yellow, Michael, you know, they do their own thing, you know, like... But, again, if if you ever need advice off them or, you know, something like that, they'll always be there just for a chat. Like, that's one thing I will say. Like, we are two great lads. What's been the biggest success of your career so far, Callum? Was it just getting onto the tour, or was it, you know, I mean, you had a great run in the Pro Tour back end of last year that opened up all kinds of doors, got in the Players' Championship finals, had a run there, got you to Ali Pali as well. What, what's the standout moment for you so far in your pretty young career? I would say up there is probably playing for England when I was 17. That was up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but PDC-wise... I'd probably say I'd probably say the winter series because I didn't know I knew I wasn't in nothing, and I I, I did play really well for them five days. Even the, the Grand Slam qualifier, I played well. I lost I lost to Edgar, but you know that game he he missed nothing. I missed a nine darter in that game, and I think he won that leg. I think I didn't get another shot after that. I missed a nine, and he went out. To do that, to to have that run on the Pro Tour at the Winter Series that got you in the Players Championship Finals, that got you to Ali Pali. When you knew that it was it was all on producing that day, and I think it was the semi-finals you made, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've watched that game back, and I think you were commentating because you mentioned how I couldn't miss the bullseye from pulling yeah. up. Do you think it shows how far you've come that you're able to do that when you know that so much is riding on it, you know, a couple of big tournaments, all, all kinds of things, when you're able to handle that pressure and perform in the way that you did, whereas, you know, you said yourself... When you're at the challenge tour, when you're at Q school, just looking at the tables, looking at uh, the what a big win might mean for you, that was something you found very difficult to deal with. Yeah, it is because it, it gets to your head, like especially like I didn't really, I knew I wasn't in the players of the world going into the winter series, but I played well the first day, the second day, and I think it was the third day I made the semi-final. I could be wrong, but um, after that, I knew I was quite close to everything. But again. I turned off my social media, as I said, notifications-wise. Like, I didn't want to look at anything. Um, I would only really speak to, like, my granddad or someone like, like that on the phone. And I just, in my head, the job wasn't done. And then, 
after the fourth day, I think I was in the players and I needed to win one game for the world. And yeah, after I beat John Michael the last day, I was I was over the moon. And then I had Van Gerwen, so I was like, well, even if I lose, it's going to be just a bonus now that I'm in the world's guaranteed. Michael Smith, who's now your stable mate, two times he won PDC Young Player of the Year. It's the award that you picked up for 2020. What does that mean to you to be singled out amongst all the young talent that there is out there as the guy who's had the best year? It, it's, it, it is unbelievable. Like, um, cause I had a really poor start of the year. I, I didn't really play well or win a game, but, you know, um, to still come through and win Young Player of the Year was quite a, a special moment for us. Like, it, it was, it didn't sink in until I got the trophy off. Chris, when he came back from the Masters, when I seen the trophy, I was like, wow, it's, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. Like Michael Smith, obviously, he's now a big, big name in the world of darts. He's gone on. Not everybody who wins that award goes on. It's going to take a lot of hard work to to realise your potential now, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, big time. Like, I know like, you hear it off like, the North East lads, you know, like, oh, I've, I've got the GMAT, you know, this, that and the other. But it's all it's on the it's on the day you play well one day and then quite poor the next day, which I've done pretty much nearly all year. I've played well one day but not get a result and then play quite poor the next and get a fair decent couple of wins. But that, that's the same with like the pro tour and I've always it doesn't matter who's on the pro if they're on the pro tour they can play darts and you don't see them all on T V and this that, but everyone on the floor can throw a hundred averages quite easily, in my opinion. And it, t- it just takes that one good game to knock you out, and then that's it. You're done for the day. Do you think you've got something more in your locker than your average darts pro, though? There are plenty of very capable on the players on the tour. They can average under, but you know, there's a few people who pick you out and go, he's got something that other players can't do. Do you genuinely believe that? Nah, I just see myself as like a, a normal person. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's weird. I know I've got a good score in game in a very good score in game when I'm, especially when I'm on. But nah, like it, maybe like some days when I'm not missing much, I'll think like I could be one of the, you know, the top sixty one day. But then other times you you would watch us throw and think hey, he's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as you don't start doing any more somersaults on your BMX, you'll give yourself your best chance of realising that potential, right? Uh, the the BMX is gone. The BMX is gone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but again, I, I'm not the biggest practitioner in the world. Like, I think all the the Northeast lads will say that I'm not the Ryan Joyce isn't a practitioner. I'm, I'm not as bad as him. He doesn't practice much at all. But yeah, well, you won't see Ryan Ryan Joyce on a BMX. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> no, I don't think you will either. <laughs> Callum Ridd's there, right? I'm very excited about that young man. I was watching him up close in Q School when he threw 108 averages in three consecutive games. It looks to me like he's got gears that other players don't have. I know he's kind of poo-pooed that idea slightly at the end of the interview. Uh, but as always, we always say on this part, consistency is what separates the men from the boys. That's that's what he's going yeah. to have to find if he's going to be a big noise in this game, isn't it, Wayne? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more, Dan. I, he's a little erratic. Mm. Uh, but that that erratic game shows its head more often than than he'd like. There there were some some times in in the World Championships where it, it hit a sixty first start, and then it it just within milliseconds is it a max. Then the following throw, it hit a sixty first start, and then a big one or big five, and there was no there seemed to be no rhyme or reason to to what's happening. Mm. And normally when you start missing. Uh, it's in the same spot uh, because we have our, our, our tendencies, our proclivities to to miss in certain areas. Uh, he misses kind of everywhere, mm. and they, I d- you don't know it's coming. And I'm sure he's got no idea it, it's coming either. I just think sometimes he's look, he's young, he's young, he's a little impetuous. Uh, that sixty goes in. I'm I'm in kind of I'm, I'm getting to my late falls where if I a sixty now, it's like right. You make sure, just just make sure you do not 
you do now all this is going on as i'm trying to throw mm. you make sure you don't waste that 60 so throw it nice and firm make sure you hit the dart that the previous dart in a 60 then it's got a great chance of following in where i'm sure that that callan is just like oh this is a 180 yeah oh, oh i missed it what what had, had I hit a one free fire from there so there's all that that thinking that from my point of view that will hinder me in 180s but sometimes playing playing just a steady game sometimes can can help when you are a real speedster and he is he is mm. a real speedster he's not up there with with rapid ricky evans but he's still a real quick merchant but there's one thing i took from the interview dan that i loved uh Reading between the lines, he does not worry about getting beat. He does not take it as as a real negative. He does not think, oh, that was a blow. He just ploughs on. And that, for a young man, will stand him in good stead. And I, I, I like that. I, I really do like that. But there's something else, Dad, that you didn't know, clearly. Mm. Uh, I, I used to... I've said this many a time in, in interviews. I used to compete on a BMX. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. No way. Yes, I did, yeah. I when did, you say yeah. compete, was, what do you mean? Yeah, I, we used to kind of... Uh, there was a skate park in, in Ornchurch in Essex that i become kind of a member of. And we used to have like a stunt team. Get uh, out there of was, it. There was, there was there, there, this, is, this is out in the open. I've mentioned this loads of times. Uh, I basically become a, a part of the, the stunt team, but we didn't do... We didn't do kind of half pipes and, and uh, quarter pipes and all sorts. And we didn't Just do that. Just a couple of wheels. We were basic. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was basically just doing uh, ground stunts, which, uh, you know, when you see all like the, the what, flipping like of the back wheel. The... Used... Yeah. 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 yeah we used to, uh, like basically I used to, I used to do all that and I used to go to exhibitions, if you like, with, uh, masters of, of back in the day when they used to come over like uh bob harrow and eddie fiola i used to go to them and I, uh, eddie fiola used to have uh, you you probably uh never heard of i've he used never to have this heard of kind him. of signature he used to have this signature move where he used to kind of you needed good shimano pedals to do this by the way because they were a certain shape and they never used to rip your your, your shins to pieces right. anyway what you used to do was Build up a little bit of momentum, uh, correctly used in, in that, that regard. Uh, lay, the, lay the bike over. Slide. So you used to slide. So you used to stand basically on the crank and the, uh, the, the, the back stunt nut. Slide and it used to leave a straight line caused by the pedal. And you used to then flip the bike back up after going as far as you can before you run out of momentum. And then get back on the bike and just, just ride away. Well, I did this. I did this in front of Eddie Fiola and he give me that, that like knowing look and I'm thinking I've made it. So it's like a 12 year old, 13, maybe I, I, uh, I did a Fiola in front of Fiola. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Absolutely. But I never had the bottle mad. to do the jumps. Yeah. So, I, I never did the jump stand. I was, I, I, I always, I wasn't fat. I wasn't fat, but I, I felt I was slightly too too tall. I felt I was too tall for my bike to do these jumps. And right, when was the last time vulnerable. you've been on a BMX? Uh, I went on my nephew's about, uh, I'm going to say 10 years ago, and right. I was basically doing 180s. So you need good brakes to do these stunts. You, mm. If you haven't got good brakes, then I used to have like a, a graphite uh, crank. I had a... Uh, uh, uh oh gee cwm but handlebars i had a shimano pedals and and uh used to have z rims z rims were hilarious they used to literally bend up on themselves and flip back to straight these are the wheels by the way these are the wheels uh then i progressed from a super goose to a pk ripper right and you realize ripper... most of these words that you're saying to me like absolutely uh, nothing Wayne. But... Like, no, but uh, those that know BMXs will know exactly what I'm on about. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> uh, my super goose got nicked and when I was about 14, 15, and I, I lost that bit of passion because it, it was all kind of built up over, over a year, two year, kind of, or maybe three years uh, over that, that time frame. And yeah, my, my passion went for it then. But 
It, yeah, uh, Callan's got more guts than I have because I do not do jumps. Uh, jumps are for those that want to break their feet. Well, and that is exactly what Callum Rids has done. Uh, but yeah. understand it. I did not know that. So, so close to home when I thought I'd found the only BMXing dart player. It turns out that the co-host of this podcast was perhaps the original. Any, anybody else do it in darts? That, you must have been the not only one. Not that I know of. Wow, not that I know. I actually, I actually tweeted him a couple of weeks ago saying I used to compete, blah, blah, blah. But during the I first lockdown, did I couldn't believe that. when I was seeing it. Yeah. Well, yeah. go, go and get look. Look, you've got nothing else to do. You even said before we started recording this, you're just doing absolutely nothing with your time. Go and get a BMX. I want to see videos of this. Do I'm, it. I'm not seven stone anymore, Dan. <laughs> I don't care, Loop. Get on it. I, I don't you don't it. care, my my graphite crank will break. <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't. You don't want to break your graphite crank, lads. Oh, no, no, you do not. I put on a bit of weight and I might break my graphite crank. <laughs> it's not been the same. It's, it's never been the same. I lost, lost my faith after I lost, after I had me, me super goose nicked. I don't, even, I don't even know what any of these words mean, but they amuse me nonetheless. Anyway, Callum Ridd's a man who missed out narrowly uh, at Q School a couple of times. We're talking Q School in a moment. Phenomenal. I made too many mistakes. I can make also mistakes. I'm human. I'm not a robot. Of course, he's a phenomenal player. He did the right things at the right moment. Right things, phenomenal. Right moments, phenomenal. 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 Phenomenal things. Okay, Q School it is. Uh, Rids didn't make it twice. Christoph Ratajski didn't make it through Q School, unbelievably. The question that everybody seems to be asking, it's dominating the whole discourse, and it's kind of understandable, to be honest, is will Barney make it? The five-time world champion's off to try and get his tour card back. Uh, a quick word on how it's going to work this year. They have changed all sorts of things. It is massively complicated, but thankfully, uh, the Good Darts podcast co-host Wayne Mardell is here to explain it all. Wayne, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, uh, uh, do you know what? I've got I think the clue. There's someone at the door. There's someone at the door. Uh, I don't know if you just want to talk everyone through this, Dan. I've got to go. One be a minute. <laughs> Right, okay. So basically, there are 29 <laughs> tour cards available. I, even I had to sit down and have a look at this properly. 29 tour cards available. You've got the EU and the UK Q schools, the EU ones for the rest of the world, obviously. 32 players are through to stage two in the UK. 18 players are through to stage two in the EU. Now, that's if you've just dropped off the tour and lost your tour card, or if you've done you're ranked really high in the challenge or development tours you get a pass through to the final stage of Q school so you've got to get to 128 players in each of those final stages so the opening stage in the UK they've got to get 96 players down from several hundred and they've got a 110 down from a few hundred over in the EU as well. You still following me? No, probably not. But essentially, we're going to have like pro tour days. <laughs> uh, the final yeah. day of Q school is going to be pro tour days. One winner in uh, each day gets a card and then the rest it's all done on points it is very long and very flabby and not easy to, to explain go on the PDC website to have a, have a look at it if you, you really want to get your head around it but ultimately it's bigger and longer and more difficult to predict than, than ever before yeah. and it's a bit of a lottery anyway as we said because you know if Christoph Ratajski is not getting a tour card it kind of shows that it's it's not guaranteed that the best players are going to get onto the tour, Wayne. No, that's right. And, and let's uh, go back. Glenn Durrant only got through on kind of count. Because Matty Dennett like, missed darts. Yeah, Matty Dennett. Yeah, and that's Matty right. That's right. So, look, we, we know it's difficult, but I, I actually, I know it's complicated, but I, I like the fact that one decent draw now doesn't get you a tour card. And I believe that what the PDC have done. They've made it they've made it more difficult. They've made it more difficult to qualify because you are gonna play the, the Q score elite at some point mm -hmm. uh, rather than just getting lucky over over one day. That can't that can't really happen anymore. That can't happen. So they're kind of they're kind of making sure that whoever gets a tour card will have won thoroughly earned it. They really will. Like you said, it's a long drawn out affair. And they want the, the creme de la creme of, of Q school getting through. And I, I think that will happen. Uh, I'm hoping it happens because we don't want to see people come on tour uh, that basically just went for a bit of a jolly up. 
because that's yeah. happened before. They've yeah, got a tour card. Oh, uh, I don't really want to be a pro. I, I, I've got work to do. Well, you mm. should have thought about that, pal, before you went. Yes, and look, there, there are various barriers that you can put up to try and weed out the people who are there just for a good time or just for a bit of a laugh. Or, oh, I might get drawn against John Part or something. You know, I'll pay 400 quid because I might get a game against Paul Nicholson or John Part or whatever. Um, and money is yeah. one of the one of them. You know, you put you put your increased entries up. And if people are that good, then they'll have to back themselves or maybe they get sponsors to back them. But if you're just some chump who's, you know, wants to go for a fun day out and tell your mates down the pub that I've, I've played all these top guys and tried to get the PDC tour, then it's going to cost you for that. That's, you know, little yeah. jaunt. Um, but the other is, as you say, is to make it harder to get through. And I think that's what they've done this year. As complicated as it is, it does seem like a sensible move. However... There is a lot of talent out there, and I'm quite. I've looked through the list. You've had a quick look through before we started recording. Um, the obvious question. I mean, do you believe that Raymond van Barneveld comes through and gets his card? I have to say, but I'm not I confident. I have to say, are you not? I'm not confident. I, I, I'm really not. I'm as certain. I'm as certain as tomorrow is Friday. Mm. It is right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just got to make sure. But yeah. who knows anymore? Uh, I. Dan, I, I cannot believe that he won't get a tour card. I just can't believe it. I I think if Barney didn't pick up a dart for six months, he still has this. Don't get me wrong. The the, the match practice, he'll get nervous. And mm. he's, he's only a human being. He will get nervous. But I'd, his ability is never, ever to be questioned. His fight, yes. His resilience, yes, yes. Uh, which is, is why he kind of he's looked uninterested in huge parts of his career, but no, I'm sorry, he's he's got to get one. He has to. Well, I mean, does he though? Because essentially, this is based on sort of. Let's assume that he coasts through the first stage of Q School, which I think that he probably will, and he's going to get to that 128 players playing in a, in a basically a pro tour. Now, yeah, Brunt Barney has played a lot of pro tours over the last half a decade. Barney, by and large, doesn't go anywhere beyond the last 16. In those pros. Yeah, but hold on. Hold on. That's against players that are probably at that time better than him. Well, not I necessarily. I mean, that's this is including no, the times mean, when he's... No, I don't he's... mean every time. No, but that's it's also including the times when he was, you know, back even when he was Premier League champion, Grand Slam champion. He just didn't win many of them for the last part of his career, the last half of his career. He wasn't exactly tearing up the floor tournament no, now maybe it's because he I, wasn't I agree that bothered that. maybe he wasn't that motivated and maybe that's changed i don't know but i have to say i am not somebody who is particularly confident that barney is just going to breeze through and and dismiss all comers i think it's going to be a little bit trickier than he thinks see i think <laughs> i think it's going to be a lot easier than he thinks oh right okay <laughs> well, well, maybe no, we should. It, maybe we should. Aside. If we meet in the middle, Barney's right. He's going to be exactly as hard or easy as Barney thinks. That's, that's probably, Barney's actually nailed this. He's, you know, he's the exact level of difficulty. He knows what it is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, the, look, there's some good players in it. Of course, there are. I just think that they will play him. I, mm. I just it it will be impossible. Do you know what? I'm thinking about it even more. Maybe you're right. Uh, this, this is going to be talking really yourself difficult. out of this. I, I am. It doesn't take a lot, as you know. I'm, I'm proper mind changing me. Uh, he he didn't like trying to qualify for European events. He, he always felt that I'm a five time world champ. I've done this for the game, that for the game. I shouldn't be qualifying. Mm. He's got what's to he get that like? out. Of yeah, me. He's, yeah, yeah. What's he's he gonna got like to Q school. <laughs> yeah. No, do you know what, Dan? I agree with you. No way can he get through. No way. <laughs> Um, I mean, there are a number of, of high-profile... Who would you like to see come through Q-School? That's an easier one to say than, say, who do you yeah. think will. Um, I mean, I, I've picked out three names in the UK and three names in the EU who I think have got good chances of, of getting through. I'll talk you through mine because I'll give you a right. bit of extra time because you haven't had much. I think from okay. the UK one, okay. the UK one, uh, I really, really fancy Scott Mitchell to come through and get his card. Yeah. Uh, Whenever yeah. he played, he played a lot of Pro Tour stuff last year. And I'll be honest, he played really well. He's very, very unlucky with his draws. Played some excellent high standard darts. And I think that he's a very good shout. There's always that sort of cadre of players who seem to 
hover around. They keep going to Q school. They keep coming through or they get very close. He came very close last year. He's been, from what I've seen in social media, he's been playing some decent stuff in, in practice. Tony the Bear Newell, I think, might be yeah. one of those guys. Yeah, good player. And the other one I'm going to pick for, for the UK, he's a young lad who I saw at Q School. He's been doing all right on the development tour and he'll go straight through to the final stage by virtue of his developmental challenge tour form. Uh, a guy, I think he's, he's nicknamed the Skyscraper, Dom Taylor. Lad from Bristol, around right. Steve Brown's way. He is big. He's about right. six and a half foot tall. Um, but hes I saw him play a bit. I had a chat with his his friends, and I think family were down there. And he's looked pretty good. He only started playing on the uh, the development and challenge tours last year after going to Q School. Or he might have played two before then, I think. Um, but yeah, he looks like hes he could be a handful. It's sort of like a... Uh, a Kieran Tian kind of way. Some massive, right, gangly okay. young lad who looks like he's got yeah. a bit of talent. Um, they're yeah. the three I'd pick. Have you have you got th- at least one or two to look out for at the UK that you think could come through? Yeah, to be honest, I'm kind of, I'm going the other way, Dan. I'm looking on it as a as a a trip down memory lane. I, okay, mine mine really are those that that the players that I know and I really want them to get to get back on the. The, the pro tour horse. I, I want to see Norris back. Cause oh, I, yeah. Alan Norris. Cause I, do you know what? It, his form dipped when he was going through an absolute torrid time in his life. And I don't think it was because he was losing any ability. Mm. I just think that it was a horrid time in his life and, and his, his wife passed. Uh, she wasn't well. And he turned up at the world championships one year. And every time he hit a treble, I felt like crying. Yeah. I, I was I was feeling uh, so much kind of uh, love and admiration for him to even be up there and thinking, how are you holding it together? Mm. And I, I really want to see him back. I, I, I just do. I just do. And I, I want to see Danny Baggish qualify as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, that would I, be great. I, th- I think he's got something. I, I, I just like the way he plays. Mm. Uh, he's, he's clearly a trier. He's clearly got uh, an ability. Uh as for others, there, there's I want to see, I want to see an old stager, uh, an old mate of mine. I want to see him play just once more on tour. Uh, Kev, Kevin Painter, ah, I, the artist. I, I love the man. I love him, and for all for all his his traits of of getting the ump and and all this malarkey, he's he's a lovely human being, and I just want to see him give it one more go, because I, I don't I don't feel that he thinks he's finished. Mm. I just don't. I just don't. And I've, I've, they're, they're my three that I want to... And Colin Osborne is is in there. Aaron Monk, I, th- I, I think Aaron Monk qualifies, by the way. You know I what? Think I think Aaron mean, Monk I, gets through. I was thinking about Aaron Monk. Yeah, he's had these little spells where you think, oh, hang on, he's going to be back and fulfilling his potential. And then he just disappears again. I don't. He, we, we know he's got some quality yeah. there. It's just whether he's got the application yeah. to make it work on the tour. But if he is d- applying himself during this little spell and leading up to Q school and that Q school itself, then I think there are, there aren't many players who have got the, the ability that, that he's probably got, but I don't know. I've given yeah, up I predicting agree. Aaron Monk, I have to say. Um, yeah, no, it, it's not, it's not the way to make a living by yes. predicting what Aaron Monk is going to do from <laughs> yeah, one day to right. the next. Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you what, there is a name that I noticed, noticed in the, uh, the UK one, and that was Lyndon Hextall. Um, Lyndon Hextall. I remember, yeah, I remember. I remember watching Lyndon in. Uh, it was. I'm gonna say 1988, 89, in the uh, the British Open, in Kensington, in in London. And what a player! I'm, I'm only going back a few years. So, <laughs> Lyndon uh, Hextall. Yeah, that sounds like a computer generated <laughs> name from like Championship <laughs> Manager. If you let it play to like 2050, it's just amal- made yeah. up an amalgamated name. Honestly, great player back in the day. And keep your eyes open for him, Dan. I just want you to tell me uh, what, what you think. Okay, uh, I mean that is that is intriguing. Um, have you cast your eye over? Some of the EU entrants and who you feel yes. might might be ones to watch because I've got three yeah, names I have to say. Right, go on. Who's your three? Well, they're all Germans actually. Um, one oh. of them is he was playing playing very well at the back end of last year, and if if the year had gone on say another two months, I think he might have saved his tour card. But 
Okay. Uh, Martin Schindler is the man. Yeah. He, he was playing some good stuff, yeah. but as I say, just couldn't find a way. To, kept falling at the final hurdle in terms of qualifying for things like the Slam or um, the Worlds. Uh, he was looked like he was going deep in the World Youth Championship and then couldn't go and reach the final for a second time. Uh, the other one is a, a guy we've been hoping was going to go to Q School for a while. He is there this year, unless any news to me if he's pulled out. Nico Kurtz, who we've seen at the yep. uh, at the World Championship and looks like he's a phenomenally talented young man. And the other one's a guy I've seen on the European Tour and impressed me massively last year when I saw him in action. Franz Roerch. Uh Young yep. guy, he's got some dodgy piercings in his head, but he can throw a mean dart. Uh, and I yep. think th- those are the three that jumped out at me. I think that Roerch, Schindler and Kurtz, we could see three more Germans on the tour in 2021. Right. Well, I'm, uh, I have a list of a, of a few, and we mentioned this this young guy last week, if I if I remember rightly, Justin Ventergal. Yes, I wa- we I saw I him. What, I thought of that. Yeah, I want to see what's happening with him. Uh, I think Barney's an absolute certainty. Uh, do you know who else I think's a certainty? Mm. I rate this guy so highly. Uh, Richard Veenstra. I like him. Yeah. Good player, I, I very like up him. and down. He, he's sort of like the Dutch Jim Williams, where I've got no idea. I know you can be amazing, yeah. but I also know you can yeah. be absolutely pony, and I've got absolutely no idea how. <laughs> um, because you shouldn't, you, when you're bad, you shouldn't be that bad, because when you're uh, good, yes, you're really, yes. really good. And yeah, it's yeah, that's right. So yeah. odd. Yeah. So odd. But yeah, he has quite an capable. A game. He has an A game and a Z game. That, that yeah. is it. Yeah. That, that is it. Yeah, peculiar, absolutely peculiar. And the other one that I've got written down... Now, bearing in mind, there's a lot of these players that I don't know. You will mm. know more than them, more than, than I will, because you see you see more than I do on the, the European tour. But there's someone, uh, Gert De Vos. I, I, I don't get what's happened to his career. I just, Has he stopped playing? I don't know, because I remember he threw something like 109 average at the Grand Slam one year. I know it was first to five in the group stages. but 114 it was. It was 114, that yeah. was it. Yeah, there we go. It was yes. enormous, wasn't yes. it? And yes. then, I'm not sure I saw him again after that. That was it. It was like, no. bye, I've completed darts, 114 average, not going to better that. Bye. And that was it. Yeah. I don't know what, yeah. what happened to him after that. Um, no, I'm, I'm not sure. And the other one, the other one that... I think sorry. There's one. There's one more. One more mm. that I, I make this. I, I'm going to call him a young man. Uh, Adam Gavlas has got. Oh yes, yeah, so nearly picked Adam Gavlas. I really like it. Him. He's. Do you know what I like? I don't know who he reminds me of, but he, is that is that young kid that could walk into any adult environment and kind of blag his way to pretending that he's, he's some kind of, like, Marquis or something. What am I... He's got a presence about him. Marquis! I, I have no idea. He's got... So young kid got... rocks up on his BMX, does a couple of 180s yeah. and then convinces you that he's the yeah. Marquis of Ornchurch. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. Weird childhood you had. I, I, no, when I look at him... I... <laughs> I don't know where I'll get these thoughts from. It's, it's as bad as Willie O'Connor bombing some kind of cattery. I don't get it. I don't get it. Anyway, do you know what? I, when I look at him, I, I actually think that he, he looks down at some adults thinking, what, what, what are you doing? Do you know what? Like, when, he I played, really... when he played Gary, Gary Anderson. Yeah, that's, yeah when he I was Gary. so impressed with that. He was his hero. Gary starts yeah. moaning about something that Adam's yeah. evidently not done, or if he did, it was yeah. accidental. Or whatever. Gary's given him the full force in his interview afterwards, and Adam's just gone, do you know what? He was my hero, but that was childish. Never mind. And just carries on. Just doesn't let it get that's to him. That's what I mean. He was so mature in the way he dealt with it. It was, it was yeah. very, Most... very impressive. If that was me at that age, I'd have just cried. I'd have cried yeah. and thought, oh, oh. If that, that was me like at me. my age now, I'd have cried if Gary Anderson <laughs> was having a go at me. But Adam Gavlas just shrugged and went, oh, well, they can't, can't be yeah. friends with everybody, can you? Um, right, so yeah. who have I actually picked here? I think you uh, picked Barney, Gavlas, and then about 15 others. <laughs> right, we're going Barney, Gavlas, Veenstra. Veenstra, yeah, okay. That's, I mean, I do like that's that's a pretty impressive triumvirate there. Um, well, we will. They're, they're probably pretty short to get through, but yeah, yes, I, they I, are. I they're like established Gavlas. names. I like him. 
Yeah, I really do. I like everything about his action, his demeanor, and just the way he carries himself. I think he's, I think he's got something, and uh, I'm sure that him and you know, if he could get on the tour, it'd be great because uh, Keen Barry's obviously stepping up to the tour. Those two are quite pally um, and practice yeah. together. Uh, I think they could really help each other. Uh, if it is their first full year on the tour. Um, I don't yeah. think there's going to be any markets on the PDC Picks apps for Q School. However, I mean, if you were playing during the Masters, they were giving away hundreds and hundreds of pounds every single day for free to enter tournaments. Talking 500 quid a day. Um, so do go and check out uh, the PDC Picks app. It's chance to f- win free cash even when your picks have been as dreadful as ours it's quite fun to just get involved anyway <laughs> however if you are joining in uh, you've got to be 18 years of age resident in the uk terms and conditions apply please gamble responsibly if you don't uh, you'll be forced to get a backy on ryan joyce's bmx while he attempts to do a somersault on it down some scabby skate park in Hornchurch. and if you or a friend are from the gambling visit begambleware.com